now. You never know with these. Good evening, everyone. I'm Steve Clark, and a very warm welcome to Brooklyn's this evening. As ever, thank you for being here, and thank you for supporting the Trust. So, our very first talk of 2020, and um, what a bloody way to kick off, eh? Um, we have two special guests tonight. Life doesn't get much better. Um, I've always said that our motorcycle legends here, we punch well above our weight, and tonight is no exception. Will you please welcome our good friends Steve Parrish and Carl Fogarty. Uh, well, we're all working. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming out. Obviously, uh, Thursday night's a shit telly night. <laughs> <laughs> you just stole my joke. Yeah, yeah, sorry, it's happened all the uh, but quite seriously, it is a real honour and a pleasure to have Carl as a guest here, as you probably all know, four times world champion, world superbike champion, two times F1 champion, world endurance champion, king of the jungle, MBE, you name it, you've got it. Carl, but, uh, things are good, aren't they? Yeah, not too bad, all good, can't complain. Um, yeah, um, just had a good Christmas, all, all good, get back to normal. Uh, big family Christmas this year. With, <clears throat> my dad turned up for the first time in 20 years. He never know my dad's going to turn up, but I'll work. He turned up this year, so it was nice to see him again. Oh, right, brilliant. Time in 20 years. Um, now, I'm sure you're being as scared as I am. I'm looking at a pair of eyes down in front of me, and yeah. it's scaring the living daylights out of me. Right, as I'm a simple person, let's start from the beginning. Carl George Fogarty, it is. Um, it's amazing in 20 years since I unfortunately was with you when you crashed in Philip Island. It's, I can't bet you can't believe that's 20 years ago. But uh, most importantly, as a child, were you, uh, were you a, like me, a horrible little bastard? Or what were, you like? were, you, were you an academic person? I can't Not really, that. I was probably worse than you to be honest. Um, yeah, it's funny because what I always say as a kid, when you kind of get brought up around uh, as a child, chances are you probably end up doing that for a a hobby or a sport, profession or whatever. And my dad used to race, so um, I was brought up around motorcycle racing. And uh, yeah, I was just around the, the racetracks, falling around Ulm Park and Aintree's. And obviously, they did a lot of the road circuits with dad, the TT and the Northwest. And it was like a, a family holiday. It was us getting, uh, getting a week off school, which is great. You know, like nine, 10 years old, to go to the Alamon TT. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it was being around bikes, always wanted to race bikes, and like I said, following with the TT, I was in the music arcades, being annoying, little, you know, trying to get them two pences yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, things like that, and you, you, know, you can't believe that would be, being a shy, quiet sort of guy from the north of England, didn't you? So I was the annoying, horrible little... Uh, I, I can well imagine it. So, <clears throat> which is, I find it incredibly interesting finding out people from their early life. Did you... Did you ever feel that you were going to get a proper job, or did you always feel that you were going to go motorcycle racing? I had a proper job for a while, I hated it though. My dad says, I've got you a job, and all right, thanks for that. Um, what is it? You're working on. Yeah, I mean, my dad in the whole his business, he was doing quite well with it really, so right. racing for my dad was almost kind of part time, really, you know, really. He run his business and that. And, um, so he said he got me a job working on uh, trucks, every good vehicle mechanic. And, I had got a guy Martin, but more sensible. I remember the first day of work and he lifted the cab up and I was looking for the spark plugs and I said, Where's the spark plugs? It's, it's, it's diesel, it's diesel engines, and they don't have them. Like, they got stuff. So I worked as an apprentice motor vehicle mechanic for a couple of years. I went to my dad's firm, but I'd started racing bikes as well at 18, I'd gone to road racing and... Uh, but you started motocrossing as everyone? I did school by motocross, yeah, for a couple of years and 
was okay. I was, I was never, my heart was never in it really. I, maybe I knew I wasn't really good enough, to be fair. Um, I mean, I won the, won the old race, finished second in the local championship, and stuff like that, but I knew it wasn't, it's not what I wanted to be. It was just a, a gap to fill before I got to 18 to go to road racing, which was the, the, the age then, really, was now it's. Had you got a hero? Had you got someone that was kind of you were looking at that was inspiring you? Oh, I, I watched racing. All, I've had so many heroes. Like Joey Dunlop, Ron Aslam in, in Britain was my heroes. Uh, the TC, I guess, with the Joey. Um, and seeing Ron Aslam with his fair or Yamaha silver kind of bike, you know, that was always like that. And Kenny Roberts was my hero. That was that was the one guy I was I was wanted to. You know, I was in love with Kenny Roberts to be honest. Yeah. So was that kind of what was dragging you off the dirt race, you know, motocrossing to road race? Yeah, well, like I said, I knew I was never going to be world champion at motocross, and my heart was never in it. I was almost glad that I got a trophy for finishing eighth or something. You know, <laughs> I look back now and think, oh, I can't believe it was like that. Why, if I could go back now, no one know now, I'd give myself a kick up the ass. You know, I was like, and I knew when I went to road racing, I just changed instantly. My first ever race. With the orange jacket, and I remember thinking, I oh, really want to win this race. Right. Really want to win it. Where at Aintree. At Aintree. Right. And uh, I nearly did. Right. Um, it was my dad's Ducati, um, Formula 2 bike, so I was in the four stroke race up to 600, I think it was then. And um, I was that small and skinny, Not like now, really. I'm not changing much. Um, I couldn't, there's no way I could start this bike. Even me, even if I should have electric starts on it. Right. Um, but I was that nervous my first ever race. And you just pull out of a hat and a number. I think I pulled something like 33 out of 36. I'm on the back row of the grid. And my dad's going, don't make it obviously on electric start. And just, just go mid pack. So you cheat from the bird gallery. Yeah. Man out of mind. I'd never be able to start this bike otherwise, but. So everyone else was running. So as soon as, as soon as the flight dropped, I just pressed the button and it fired up. And I just went straight into the lead from the back row of the grid. <laughs> I'll leave the race and swapping places with a guy called John Cronshaw. Yeah, I remember. He's still riding now, John Cronshaw. Yeah, he's riding with classic bikes. He races classics, right? I used to win, the, win every race there at Aintree, and and I was riding all over the place. I'm just come from motocross, so I spent most of the time in the grass, to be honest, at Aintree. <laughs> And I dropped back to fourth, and I got, and I finished second in my first ever race. I was thrilled to bits of that. And my dad says, uh, "They disqualified you for using electric stars." Obviously, they didn't break So that was my first race. And I was like, I was crying my eyes out, you know. Uh, but it, I, I just knew straight away that I wanted to win. Even as a kid, I kept telling anybody that would listen, uh, 12 years old, 13, that I'm going to be a champion. Whether I'm leading that, I don't know, but I just, I was convinced I was going to be a world champion, motorcycle races, but, but not at motocross, so I knew it was never going to be motocross. Right. And, and once you got on a road race bike, you just went back motocross at all? No, I didn't oh, really. So now you do a lot, but... Yeah, it's funny, I probably ride a motocross bike more now um, than I did when I was racing. Even once I'd gone to a road race, I seem to forget about it again. I wish, I, I wish I'd not really, I wish I'd, I'd kept that up a bit like the guys do now, like Jonathan Ray, and people are always doing a bit of motocross in the off-season, so... And I didn't really do that to be fair, but um, yeah, but I mean, I'm riding now, I love it. I just, I've got a local track near me, which is a bit of an 80 style track, really. So it's quite forgiving, but more a ski ramp jump, not this big, silly, you know, three whoopie doo kind of triples and stuff. So, um, but I enjoy doing it, but my body's saying, I'm not happy about this, but my head's going to do it. My knee's killing me, ankle, so. 
But I do, I do all it. Yeah, I do all the bikes. I think I read you, your summer holidays would be the TT. As a kid, yeah, it was. Yeah, he got a week off school, which was great. I hated school, you know. And uh, like I said, I just get into a bit of mischief in the music arcade next door. And then next thing, I'd be up to the, I'd be up to sort of like Sand Paul's Corner. My dad would be going really second or third, and I'm singling here. He was really second or third in 1981 in the farm CC race, and he slid off at um, at Brandon Bridge. It rained a little bit there, and it was a bit of a controversial race actually because Mick Grant got the race stopped because he had a problem with the bike in the, in the first run or something. And, um, and he was really bad fog on the mountain. And Granty had an issue with it. And he pulled in at the, the black box. I went, this is ridiculous, this. And he shoved us up this race. And, and, and his bike ran down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so instead of, instead of like taking the two laps and having, and having the four lap race the day after, he scrapped the whole thing. Right. Had, had he been that way, took the two laps and then had the four lap race, had been the time saved, and then won the race. Right. But he crashed on the fifth lap while in second place at Brandon Bridge. And, uh, I think Chris Guy was leading the race at the time, and uh, I think he crashed as well. And Mick Grant went on to win the race. Right. Yeah. Right. But I was there singly, but I'd find like a, an old slate or something <laughs> on the floor, it still a bit scratching, you know, number on P4 or something, you know, and I'd hold it out and stuff, you know. And, uh, yeah, once he fell off, I went mental with him, you know. Not at all, he crashed it. And he crashed a lot. I mean, he must hold the record for crashing at the most. Places on the island. He crashed at Bray Hill. He crashed at Bray Hill. So nobody's ever seen set off. Crashed at Bray Hill. His first first bit. Second quarter. Quarterbridge crashed. Badenbridge crashed. Third quarter. Union Mills crashed. Fourth quarter. And military. He wrote first name in terms with the helicopter pilot. Honestly, forward. I remember it yeah. smashed Mark Hill's Ducati to pieces in 1979. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone has ever done what he did at Botman no, Radio no. and slid straight out the middle of the road. Yeah, but right the middle of the road was a few, I mean the letters then, back in then, it was shit, wasn't it? Like yeah. paper, really. Yeah. Yeah. And just a few cuts, scratches and bruises, everyone strapped him up and went back out the day after. I think he was 26 in the, the Formula 2 race, I think it was. Yeah. 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 Quite, quite it was a tough guy with that, yeah. um, So that clearly installed the TT in your mind because a, a lot of people didn't do it, did they? In your era, yeah. there would be, what, 10% of the riders did the TT and the rest of the a bit more, I think. I was probably, I, I probably last of the guys that, I am actually the last guy to win it and then go on to short circuit success at right. world level, you know. But yeah. for me, it's got the other way around now, hasn't it? Where people come back to it in some ways. Yeah, the British guys, yeah. The British guys are looking at it now, aren't they? Going, you know what, we're making no money at all in the, sure. in the British championships. The way it's, I mean, even when I won the British championship round uh, in 1990, I think I got 500 quid or 700 quid. Mm. Now you win one, you get nothing. No. I can't get me around any bit now. I mean, I'm out of it all a little bit now, so I'm, I'm shocked by the whole system, how it all works these days. So. But a lot of the guys now, like Peter Hickman and <clears throat> Josh Brooks a few years ago, that they've looked at it and think, you know what? Mm. If I've got the balls to go there, and, and someone like Hickman now, he's, if a good short circuit guy goes to TT, they'll win if they're prepared to like push hard. Because yeah. the fastest guys in the world that race motorcycles are the guys that are in Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. also, you know, but they won't go to TT for obvious reasons, you know. So the guys that aren't that good tend to find themselves stuck at the TT. But of re in recent years, have become famous, and rightly so in some ways, because yeah. to go around there now on, on the bikes now, I mean, it's pretty scary, but in a, in, in a cruel way of saying it, they're almost failed short circuit racers that have found themselves at the TT and becoming kind of stars and quite famous in their own right and getting a lot of the money for the TT. You'd have a good TT like your McGuinnesses or, um, 
you know, and kind of guys, uh, Guy Martin, so, you know, it will, all, over the years, um, God, I can't all the names now, um, but well, you know, yeah. Maybe Courtney Quinn or something. Yeah. I mean, you could say he's a greater mate of mine. He's been here, John McGuinness, or something. Yeah. Part of it didn't really. No, but non yeah, not good instructions. <laughs> but um, so for me, I wanted, I've been brought up with the TT. A lot of people forget this. He always think Foggy and his World Super career of winning um, the championships and nothing. And forget almost about my, my, my road circuit success with winning TTs, holding the lap record for probably the second longest ever. Lap record that's been held, uh, held with Elliot for two years longer than I did. I held it for seven years, right. from 92 to 99. So that's something when I look back now, I'm really proud of. But I wanted to win the TT, really, really wanted to win it. And uh, I remember the first one, that, the first one I won, I kind of got, I, I kind of was learned how to, how to win the TT in, in the same race. Um, the first race I won, I was learned how to win from Steve Islop and Dave Leach, the fastest two guys around at that time. And I found myself with these two guys. It was the last year he set off together in 89. So number seven and number eight are me and Dave Leach. And Steve Islop number six. And, and Dave Leach is very fast in the production guys. And I got away before him and I somehow hung on to him. And I was just I learned from him how fast, how he had to ride the team. I rode it to kind of a bit laid back really, I'm not, not aggressive enough. And I mean, well, it, was all, it was said, like you ride the TT at 80%, yeah, that isn't the case, is it? It isn't really, you ride it 100%, but it's probably a different 100% than you ride at Donington, obviously, you know. And then I found myself on the last lap with these two guys, hanging on to him, Steve has got to pull 10 seconds on us, and he's going like, you believe, when I'm hanging on to these two guys, I'm like, almost shook my head, but fuck's sake, let's let the break, to the top of Garrow, through Milltown, and I'm like, how the, and when it comes to some slow corners, I was really good on the brakes, I would really catch it back up, and I just lose like, you know, you know, 20, 30 feet, or whatever, a bit more, catch it back up, I remember just taking a deep, deep breath, and I got into Parliament Square, right behind him, I think I might have passed one of them then, and I thought we're on the mountain now, I thought, this is my part of the circuit, I know it. I know it well, it's a short circuit, I'm a short circuit guy. Yeah, you can see the corners more, can't you? And I remember passing Steve Islop, uh, going into the gooseneck, and then looking around to him, going, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought to myself at the time, I wonder if he knows what I meant, and he, he said that, I know exactly what he meant. He's got, he hasn't pulled one second yeah. from the part of the circuit, he's, he's, the, he's the man, he was the man at yeah. that part, yeah. to, to gooseneck. So he knew what I meant, that, this is not his race anymore. Yeah. Stay at this. Yeah. Me and Dave Lee set off together. Yeah. So then I passed him Lee straight away and I got my head down over the mountain, flying over the mountain, and down towards Brandish, and then he came alongside me um, to go down to Hillbury. Leach? Or... Yeah. Oh, okay. So um, Leach for the win. And I let the brakes off and flew around Hillborough. And is it Cromwell? Around the way to Signpost. And I went so fast around Signpost, Governor's 3, Governor's 1. It was, Lost the front end when he was one. Going that fast on the last half mile of the circuit and going up to sort of his line, my head weaving and thinking he's right behind me, you know. And I pulled 1.8 seconds on him, I've gone that crazy around the last three parts of the circuit, you know. You probably taught Izzy a few tricks there. Eh? <laughs> I, I, I won my first TT, you know, which is the 750 production racing in 89. I thought, yes, Cal, you've got that. Give you that trophy, the most famous trophy in the world, but oh no, you don't get that. For for winning the 70 production race, you get a trophy like I came back the year after and I was I was fired up then. I, that was it then I was 
mouthing off, and I was t his lot teammate, and I'm going to beat you, and he's number six, I'm number eight, and, I, and I, I got in his head, and really, I probably destroyed him, to be honest, in his head. The conditions were a bit iffy, and I won both superbike races, both big races, you know, so that was me done then. I saw a thought, I thought I'd never go back after that, really. I didn't, you know, I just said, oh, I was crying, especially the senior TT race, I was running the wet as well, which these days. Finally got that big trophy. Yeah. But now you don't, you don't even, you don't even race in the wet, the conditions. In the first two laps, it was horrendous. And I caught Steve up, who was 20 seconds in front of me, by Kurt Marshall the first lap. That sounded crazy. I was going, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, and he saw me and shook his head and pulled his. He's a stupid idiot. And then the sun came out and I, I cruised over me. I was 55 seconds in the lead, I think it was, on the last lap. From Dave Leach and might be Robert Dillon. I can't remember Trevor Nation, actually. I remember Trevor Nation second. So I'm coming down to Craig the Barn and I was almost, I was still a little starting to cry because I thought I'm going to win the senior CT. I'm like, you know, I've got even get goosebumps now talking about it, you know, it's the race. I've watched my dad try and win and things like that, you know, and I had to slap myself, get a, get a good, you've got a few miles to go here, you know, when you have run out of fuel or whatever, but crossing that line and I thought, this is it, and, yeah, I got the, the great, the funny thing is about that, I got the, the great big trophies. And the funny story about this one, I remember putting them in the back, I had a Honda Prelude of uh, Honda, I was, um, Brian Honda, so he got a Honda Prelude. Nothing to brag about. Apparently, should have got it. So I'm, I'm at the, the, the um, I'm, I'm waiting to get on the boat with on the on the Honda Prelude. Two trophies in the back of the most expensive trophies in the world. Both left in the back of the car, each other, whatever. Because I don't. I've never seen this guy. I've never forget I've never seen this guy because I know it's his birth one. Yeah, she's right. Shit, her. Never job again. This and his and his bird. He was about 16, 17. Yeah. And that's when I met him, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do TT, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But more interesting than I like, talking to his brother at the time. <laughs> 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 he was yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. um, he, he remembers the story quite, and, you know, there's a lot about it now. But that, that, I saw him, yeah, that, that, that day I said, drove back, and now he can't, the, the trophies don't leave the island. I was about to say that now, these trophies are going to go around with security guards. Yeah, so I had him in my house for 12 months. I just, I I've just, seen all the chips on him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I the car, and I remember just, just leaving them, I didn't even lock the car or anything, you know, I just, uh, so that was, I thought that was me done then with the TT, I really did. Gone, done and gone, gone to World Superbike and signed the contract with Honda for, for World Superbike in 1991, teammate McKenzie, factory HRC Honda, but the truth be, you know, the Honda there was past itself by day, it really was. It was his fourth year uh, out, and it, on the short circuits, I struggled really, really bad with it. It really did. I was getting nowhere. Even the British Airways, I couldn't even get the first four or five. It was all like the Kawasaki, the No ones, and the Yamaha, the bike to have really. So, and then uh, Neil Tucker said to me, Look, it's Yamaha's anniversary at the TC this year. In '91, we want to spoil it um, and bring out bring the RVFs, which are the best bikes on the planet. Like a motor, it would what it would be what is an equal to equal to like an equivalent to like a motor GP bike now yeah. from '89, '90, '90. It's just a, a one-off prototype four-stroke, which is the best bikes to ride. We drove one at the Suzuki Race Tower Race. It's an incredible bike. So, so we're bringing two special bikes over for, for Steve. Would you consider coming back to TT? doing the one race and uh, it was just I ended up going back really and it was for wrong reasons in a way because I'd done it on money and my head wasn't quite right I've just got married and had a, a, a baby and I'm sorry Michael was expecting and uh, I got there and, and said look you've got to share the bike with Joey I went what yeah, you know, it's not ideal is it really sharing a bike really for the TT and doing the one race 
And they did the race, and Steve won the race, and it was at the white light, and the, I mean, him going, I didn't want to, to, he didn't want to, to. Still, oh, just yeah, quite crazy, yeah, just one of the greatest races. Um, but my race over Brewer straight away, kept misfounding the bike, and I pulled off a ball-off bridge on the first lap, and then he fired back up again. And I came back out onto the track, and Steve had caught me up there. He was number 11 now, because he'd learned from the year before. I ain't set up in front of you, so it was, he was number 11 now, I was number 8 again. So he caught me up, and I was with him. No problem, but he's got 30 seconds on me or whatever now, so the bike kept cutting out and misfiring. And <clears throat> anyway, we fired for a lot, half a lap, then I passed him over the mountain, and then went into, um, Brandish, and as I came out, I go, oh, cut out again, and he's almost running inside of me. He's got like, I felt like that, and he's looking at me as if he, he must have thought I was trying to knock him off, to be honest, you know. And we came into pit stop, and I'm trying to shout, my, my bike's kind of cutting out, and he's, he's saying to, to Neil, he's trying to knock me off. <laughs> so, so they held me back a little bit, and my race was over anyway, you know, which I did the one race. Um, I remember doing the fifth lap on the bike, it, it didn't cut out once. I thought, right, I'm going to smash the lap record now to a million pieces on my last lap. And I flew, I didn't shut off down real at all, it's the first time I've done that, I've never done it before. Absolutely flying, absolutely, everywhere, just pinpointing, I just thought, this is going to be the fact, probably 124 to my language. I did the year after 123, which took seven, seven years, and on the running down to Balakrin, it went, boo, just come on, fly So the rest of the lap was just erratic and yeah. kept cutting out, but I finished second on it, and, uh, I kind of left TT with them about taste him out. Did they ever find out what the problem was? There's a, a loose wire on the kill button. Alright. So the <laughs> so, funny thing was about the TT, I oh, know we're going on about TT a lot, but um, signed up going back again, you know. Again, we you guys are locked out Yamaha in 92, yeah. which, again, I, was, I wasn't meant to go back at all, really. I was no intention of going back, and then Steve was always riding for Yamaha. He fell out with Yamaha, I said, alright, I'll ride the bike or something. I don't know what happened. So he left, Yamaha run me. And I was running the Ducati in World Superbike, my own team. It was costing me a fortune, it really was. The upkeep of the Ducati, I thought. Yamaha said, would you come under the TT? And I thought, they'll pay me seven grand. And I got like seven grand off tourist board. Like, well, a lot of money then, 14 grand to come and do the TT back in 92. So Mikhail wasn't too happy, you know, with Danielle and stuff. And uh, so I went back. We did it and we I kind of got used to the bike by end of practice. I'm leaving the first two bike race by miles. I did the bike like waves the crowd was and cheering as I came out the, the, um, the pits after my refill in the fourth lap. And on the fifth lap, 30, 35 seconds in front, the gearbox went going into in the bungalow. I was like, absolutely heartbroken. I was really was. I couldn't believe it. it just I did the race in the bike. It would have stopped me at, It would have stopped Honda winning 10 in a row. <clears throat> I remember seeing Andy Smith crying over the, yeah. you know, in the, the pit lane. So, so that was that, so he comes then to the last race of the day, and my last ever race at the TT and stuff, and what was still being voted as the greatest race of all time, and, and both me and Steve Izzel, the fastest two guys there, and I've not won a race yet, and so it's, you knew something special or something big was going to happen, I guess, really, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was an epic race, and, um, you know, um, like I said, it, the bike was falling apart on me on the last lap, but I was just going faster and faster with it. All the clocks were working, the bits of oil had sprayed them out everywhere, the rear shock had gone, the brake arm had bent, um, the exhaust blew the last half, I thought, fuck it, this thing's the noisy, I thought, the faster I go, we're going to get off it. <laughs> <laughs>
I came in, I lost the race by four seconds, but I took the lap record. I was just saying, I got that it, record. And that was it, you know, it was, that was me saying goodbye to it, really. Right. But I, I went away happy and so, apart from losing that first super race with the, with the gearbox, um, going away the fastest guy ever to Grand TT, that was something that I really yeah. wanted to be, you know, for Stanton. It's funny, someone mentioned this to recently, said, do you realise after you left the TT night, so all the years after that, when you were winning World Super Races and World Super titles, from now, Three nine, you were still the fastest guy in the team. Oh, you know, what, what, seven years was it? He didn't get wrong till nine, yeah. so I mean, that's something that'll probably that you know. Okay, so in between all this, you've met Mikhaila and family and everything else. Now, I want to know how you got off with Mikhaila. Did you get your dark visor on? Some good looking rugby yeah. chap I am. But, um, I've known this into a, well, a bit of a childhood sweetheart, I suppose, really. Um, 14, 15, and she was a mate of my sister's, so I used to just wait for my sister to bring a mate to them, but they didn't seem very good at that. But being the, when you had a, a crush on somebody, when I did like a girl like 14, something like that age, you were like, I don't know, I just, you wouldn't admit it to her, annoy her really, and pin her down on the floor. And, Worked for a liquid in her eyes and stuff like that. <laughs> but she kind of been never shot at least have a tree out. Yeah. 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 They'd be in the tree out, so I'd annoying. I was so annoying. I was such a, I really can't believe it being me being such an annoying kid, but I was actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd climb into the tree out, and go, get away, get away, and pull the wellies off. Throw them in the streams and leave them like, you know, that was my way of kind of saying that I fancied you. Really. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, so. I always thought about this girl when I mean, we lost touch really at 14, 15, and then at like, 21 we met up again in the bar. And I thought, yeah, we got, yeah, got the wellies on that. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't the dark part, it was getting liquid in her eyes. After that, now it's three years later, still 32 years later. How many years? 32 years, 33 years. Really? Chris was 87, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Two lovely daughters who now yeah. own the shop, I think, don't they? Yeah, the girls have got a little uh, boutique ladies' club shop in a little town near me called Clitheroe. Um, right. So they're doing okay, yeah. It's, it's not easy, the whole retail thing, but they're doing alright. So we move on. I mean, so much has gone on, we won't have time for the whole thing. World Superbikes came along. You were one of the first guys to switch to a Ducati, I guess, weren't you? You had a privateer Ducati in fairly early days. Yeah, I mean, I, I've learned. I raced against these guys in 91 on a, on a really uncompetitive Honda. And I kept thinking, I'm better than these guys. No one would believe that, even my mechanic at the time. When, if I had the same bags, I could, because I'm in the corner and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm as quick as you guys, no, you're in my way. But the Honda was so slow, it really was. Just, I mean, all I could do was judge myself off where I was on the same bike. And I beat two-time world champion Fred Merkel. Right. I was seventh or eighth in the championship, I think it was. Yeah. I've, done, I've done three quarters of the championship, maybe a bit more. Yeah. Fred did it maybe all, he was eight to nine. So I've beaten Fred, who was a two-time world champion. And, but no one was that interested in, in me for a year after really because they just see you finishing eighth and ninth, things like that, and it's, they don't think it's the bike, you know, uh, for some reason. So I had to, the money I'd kind of met from Honda, I guess, in the, the TT years in Honda Britain and World Superbike, I spent it all my own money on going World Superbike racing with a privateer Ducati. And you could buy a privateer Ducati then on the counter, which was, was okay, well, it was good as a factory bike, so it wasn't a million miles off. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, the rest of the issues is I got on this thing in the second round. Donington Park, a bit of a rider circuit, up lead a fast bike, and won my first ever World Superbike race, beating all the factory teams. And 
I think that was a one break sit kind of one it. Wow. You can, yeah. You, 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 That's that right. I've been telling everybody I, I can beat these guys on this and that. I'm better than these. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Once I've done that, they thought, you can ride them. So yeah, I signed for Ducati for the factory in 93, and I was a bit off-headed, a bit, still a bit immature in some ways, and I threw a lot of, I should have won the championship to be fair, I won about 11 races that year, 12, I think Scott also won four, mm. but he was so consistent with Scott, and I was like, leading, leading, because miles of an exit, I crashed, I threw, I crashed about four or five times from winning positions, and I threw away the title, you know. Um, but the year after, the 916, came back and, you know, after a, a difficult year really, uh, I broke my wrist at the second round, having won the first race ever on the 916 at Donington. Second round, though, we had a broken wrist, so I missed the next race, and right with a broken wrist, I got fifth, think, and broke down in one, so I'm way behind in the points. Then we go to Albacete, a double win, Scott crashed out in both races, I go to um, Austria, double win, Scott crashed out, so he's ever gone completely, so within the space of like four weeks of being, me being nowhere, suddenly like five points again or something, you know, so it was like that, it took all year, he went down to the very last race of the year, on the other side of the world in Australia, and I just thought, well, today, you know, hopefully it's going to come out in my favour, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, I kept a mouth shut for once in my life, and just concentrated on, <laughs> on the bike and the setup and yeah, won the first race and had one hand on the trophy and just did what I had to in the second race, really. And Scott kind of gave up, you know, he just saw me behind and just went, oh, you know, it's yours, mate. If you had a towel, there's no one in, I think, as, as Keith said on, on, on the TV commentary. But um, yeah, so that was it then, the first title. And the, the emotions and the relief of that, more than anything, are just, are just unbelievable. You can't, so, can't explain it. And, and <coughs> kind of the rest of his history you went through with Ducati, and then you had a year off with Honda, which didn't kind of. Yeah, it was a difficult year with the Honda, really. Um, I, 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 I'm going to take responsibility myself, really. You know, I mean, the bike wasn't perfect. It didn't suit me as much as the Ducati, but it was fast bike. It was a fast bike outlet. I, mean, I won both races at, um, no, sorry, I won one of the races at Hockenheim, one at Monza. I mean, this thing was fast, but it was, I mean, I won both at um, Aston as well. It worked really well there. Perfect was if the Ducati would work everywhere. Right. This thing would work everywhere. It, someone like me, who carried a lot of corner speed, a big lean angle, a little bit like, I think only riding similar to me these days would be probably Lorenzo, yeah. who I used to ride a bike. Yeah. I, I really liked all, it was all about corner speed for me, you know. And with the, with the, the Honda, on some circuits you could do it, it was fine, other circuits you just wouldn't get the traction at all. So it was seen as a disappointing year because that probably because I've been a double world champion because of who I was now, how I was, and, and this and that, and telling everybody, listen, I'm still, you know, I'm the best in the world. But, it was seen as a bit of a disastrous year, really, but even though, even though I finished four, I still went down to the last race, and you know, a lot of people know this, still, was still a mathematical chance <coughs> sorry, um, of winning the championship. So uh, it, it, I was about 30 points off the, uh, the idea of winning the championship, you know, so there was a lot of guys that were inconsistent that year, but uh, and I had to make a decision then what to do for the remainder of my career, I think, really. And Honda really wanted me to say, I think the bike on the, the year after would have been suited me a lot more. They changed all the swinging arm, it would have given me a lot more bit, corner grip than, than the bike I've been riding that year. So I thought, no, I won't be back, I won't be back on mm. what is my team, my bike. I thought that Honda would be so much better because I could see how professional it was. And it was all my old Honda Britain team running, Neil talked to everybody, and he was in Louth, and you got an NSX car, and you got three motocross bikes, and things like that. And it just, it, it seemed, it felt, it felt like the grass was going to be green here. But then it, it wasn't, and I kind of got to Honda, and Ducati was laid back, a bit disorganised, and I, and I left for that reason, but that was the reason, the thing that I missed about it really, 
Right. I was I was in control. I was the man. I was the boss. I was number one. It was a Honda. I was one of a, a number of many many guys from Mick Dillon to to Aaron Slide to whoever you know the Japanese guys myself. So it was difficult, really. Yeah, when, but I give up really on the title thing halfway through. You know, I was just happy to win a few races and just get off the bike. You know, going yeah, back now, I shouldn't really have done that. I should have stuck at it. But sometimes a year like that kind of kicks you in the arse a bit, doesn't it? it yeah. Um, so I came back to Ducati and. Um, it just seemed so much different than what I left, and personnel had changed. Uh, the bike didn't feel the same. I felt like I was on a home road, I was struggling mid corner. Um, so it was a difficult year, really, but I was riding really hard and really aggressive in '97. Really was. I led the championship for most of the year uh, early on. I beat Kaczynski, but he was slightly, but again, he was a bit like me. He was struggling with the Honda, to be honest. And I think what saved his career, the first three rounds were wet, and he was really good in the wet. He really was. But when he dried out, he really struggled. But he had a bit of a points lead early on, and I got him back, got back in the front. And, but I kept complaining about the bike all year, saying the, the injection system on it is new injection. Every time I touch the throttle, it cracks too much, and it's sending me out wide. And I've got to shut off, and I'm losing my corner speed. You know, I moaned about it all year. It never got cured, the problem with it. I kept pushing, pushing, and started crashing at the end of the year, and then I lost the cycle, you know. So, from breaking up a winning team, it took two years to get it back right again, you know. And yeah. It's something, if I had my time again, I would never do. And you, know, you wouldn't see Joe Ray doing that now, you wouldn't see me doing that back in the time. Yeah. You don't break up a winning team, and I did that. I just got distracted by maybe a bit more money from Honda, or the professionalism of it all, and the fact that it was based in Britain. Really, all the things I thought were better weren't, you know, so... Um, did you, at this point, do you have a manager? No, I didn't really. I never had a manager throughout, throughout my career, which... I don't know, I think I did okay, really, but... I'm sure you did, but sometimes in that case, yeah, you might get a different perspective from someone having a look over. I think, um, I think yeah, I, I missed out a little bit by not having someone look after it, but... It was quite new then, managers. Not many people did have them, really, I don't think. Um, but no, I think I would have benefited from, from that, really. So, by the time we got to 1999, I'm really winning my fourth world title, and the press and the, pre you know, the pressure of it all, and the media intention on me from the national press, everything was just off the scale of the adverts I'm doing with Sky and the shows and the questions. You're just doing something. And I, I, I struggled coping with it all, if I'm honest. I really did. Everybody wants to look after me. and. Uh, I was almost glad it was over when it all ended. I, I, I was about to say, fast forward, 2000 Phillip Island, second mm. race of the championship, second race, and I remember you telling me this previously, um, you kind of, it was in some ways, it was a painful I'm sure, but you said it was a bit of a relief in some ways. I think at the start of 2000 didn't get off too good, I, I, I didn't do myself skiing, I didn't do my shoulder skiing, <laughs> so I missed some testing. Then I started testing at, at um, I was flying at Valencia, absolutely flying on the place, faster than anybody. And then this stupid, made a stupid mistake, but I thought, I'll pick the bike up and run on. I'll run on, I went that fast. It threw the ground, I lost it, and went down again. Knocked myself out of it, and did the other shoulder. Right. So it was a race to time, in, at the time to get fit for the first round in Kyle Army in, in, in 2000. And I almost missed most of practice, really. And I just, I don't know where I qualified, but in the race, I rode really well, to be fair, with injuries. I was third, right behind the reason. I thought at one point they were going to take each other out and we were winning, you know. Um, so I finished third, and then the second race, I thought, I changed some setup on the bike. So I've gone from 16.5 inch front wheel to 17, because it making it easier on my shoulder to change direction. But it kept chattering in the corners, but I ignored it, ignored it, and down I went, and stupid little bit all fault. So, um, 
So then Philip Island came around, they had a three week gap, I think it was, maybe more. And I got fully fit then. And I went to Philip Island thinking, right, I'm ready to race again, I'm going to blow them all away, you know. <clears throat> I was fast throughout practice, everything. And then the race day came and the weather was horrendous to be honest. And um, I remember the second, the first race, the, the guys had the cover off the tires, and I looked at the tire, and, it's a wrong tire put on, so it was a cut one, but not heavily cut, you know. Uh, a slick in the rear, I think it was, maybe a cut slick in the rear. And everybody else had slick or cut slick, except one guy. It was like the blue sky everywhere, and it was Anthony Goldberg on the remote put full wet on from the back, like, laughing at him, sort of thing, you know. But, and as soon as they set off, I mean, it was slippers and anything, I kept this thing upright. I don't know, people crashed it left, right, and centre. It was one of the best races I've rode to be fair, and he cleared off and won. It rained straight away from this blue sky, just rain came down. And I kept the thing upright, kept it upright, and I finished second, I thought, rode really, really well there, and he, he, he won the race, and then <coughs> the weather dried up, and <coughs> for the second race, I thought, right, I'm going to win this. I'm all fired up now, I'm ready to win this. And I know, all I remember about the second start of that last ever race really was dropping the clutch, and I must have been on a wet patch. Um, on the start line from maybe obviously it was drying out and it just spun up on the line. So I got a really bad start. And the only thing I can remember is passing Goldberg at the end of the first lap. That's all I remember, passing him in the first lap. And the next thing I wake up and I can hear like a helicopter noise and, and that was it. So it was, I was just knocked out and, and there's five or six laps to fill in uh, before I had the crash with um, running the back of, of the guy called Robert the Joe Robert Ullman he was called, yeah. Um, so that was it, yeah. And, when I came around the hospital asking, you know, kind of what's happening to me, any out of consciousness, and you smash your shoulders a bit sort of thing, and I kind of knew somehow, even before they said that, I thought, well, I think this is the end now, you know. Right. Um, I came back to, back to England, um, saw Professor Andy Carr at, um, at Oxford Hospital, he said, look, you're never going to get, we'll get you probably to 75, 80% shoulder back to what he was, we'll plates and screws in, which are still in there now to this day, you know. Um, but you're never going to be right, really. I thought, oh, I'll be fine. No, but I think I, deep down, I thought, I'm not going to be fine at all. When I got on the bike at Branzac, um, to do just a, a little way to crowd, because obviously I missed the whole season. I went to get on. And when I like that to go down, oh, I'm like that. I thought, what the hell? <laughs> I hadn't, I'd never sat on the bike, so right. I'm in a position. Even when, when I do it now, look, you can see how that comes, more, that, that's there, even now. It's, so unless I want like a motocross bike or a Harley or something, then the position, that, that was it. And I thought, oh my God, I, I, I can't even ride one of these anymore. The, the position you need to be in, I can't get it, especially when you go down, to go down the other streets. You know, so, so was that the point when you said that was the end? Of I knew then, you flew me out to Magello in September and I tested and went round and round and there was nowhere. And I came and I said, yeah, no, this is it. I'm not to retire. That was it, yeah. <clears throat> so when it was announced, it was like I didn't. I was just so wrapped up in myself and just racing bikes and just being like, just me. And I didn't know. I didn't even think I was famous. You know what I mean? I had no idea. And you sat at home and you're watching Sky News. It's on Sky News and stuff. You know, yeah. today Carl Fogarty retired, and, and George Best column in the Sunday paper. He's like he wrote on football every Saturday or Sunday. And it's, at the mirror of the sun, he said, oh, forget about football this weekend, proper legends have to be... And I'm thinking, oh my yeah. God, it, 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 I had no idea how many people knew who I was, who I thought were massively famous, you know, so it was all over, and, I, and everybody else is upset and crying, the fax machine's going, and 
And I'm, I'm the only one that's thinking, oh, someone please is all over, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just that relief that I've done after about, and because the person I was, I was very outspoken and very, a bit like a boxing builder, but a fight. I was always, I'm the best, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And I, more times I would go out and do that, and I kept, I thought, look back now and think, why don't you just keep your mouth bloody shut, you can't raise the bike, you made it so much easier on yourself, you know, but, so to take away all that pressure, that from the, the press, the fans, and myself, I don't have to go out and win anymore, I'm so pleased, I'm like, I'm retired, you know, it's fine, and I didn't miss it at all, until probably a year or two have gone by then, then I started really missing it. Oh, did you have a plan B then, at that point? No, nothing at all, really, nothing, I mean, financially, I knew it was pretty much sound, really was, yeah. I, I didn't really spend money silly. I had a good financial guy around me that time for me dad. And, and you had a, an ambassadorial role with Ducati, didn't you? Yeah, um, Ducati said, look, it's funny, I, everything I had in my racing career was one-year deals, and suddenly, Shark Elements, three-year contract. Uh, Ducati, three-year contract, straight away, for being ambassador or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, but obviously, I started doing that role in 2001. I think I was still very, very raw, and I didn't want to be there at races and things like that, you know, and then, this opportunity came through the Patronus thing. Um, Which landed on your lap, really, didn't it? In a way, it did, yeah. I mean, I had connections with Patronus, because I did some racing for them in 1992, out in, oh, in Malaysia, obviously. Yeah. Um, in 1992, I raced everything. Oh, I was a TT, on Yamaha, my own Ducati, got a Honda, World Super at um, Northwest 200, Macau Grand Prix, I found a Yamaha, the British Grand Prix, I was running fifth in it, I found a Yamaha, so whatever got offered to me, yeah. I would take it because I needed the money to, to run the World Superbike campaign, you know. So this mad Malaysian guy rings me up called David Wong and he says, I run the race team for, um, for, for Patronas, cars and bikes. And the rider that I was an Australian guy, I wasn't winning any races, he was sighting. Can you come out and race? Um, not really. How much do you want, man? Three grand. And uh, yeah, no problem, all right. And then, well, that was all money, £3,000 to go out on a business class flight with a mechanic out to, um, to Malaysia to go around, you know. Uh, was, I couldn't believe I was okay, getting paid so much money. So I went out, got on the bike, and it, it felt okay, but, and I won the first race on it. I won the first race, so they were absolutely over the moon, you know. I said that the season patrols the biggest, you know, things coming out, they're owned by the, owned by the government, states, and everything. So, um, so the connection was already there, and I said into I got on really well with the, the, the guy that won the team, you know, and um, so that's how the connection came to run the Patronus team, really, when that came about. This David Wong run, he said, look, Patronus are up to this, got a bit of a deal going with Salve, one guys, with his bike, <coughs> about going to MotoGP. He said, we're trying to make him go to World Superbike. I mean, how he did this, I have no idea. All they had to do was make three bikes, two bikes. Four bikes, four more GP. It's about confidence to go. I don't know if they knew what they were getting into. I don't think, I think if they had the time to get in, just say no. But the people that are involved in, and signed it off and listened to David, and he got this thing signed off that we had to build 150 bikes. Yeah, to be the bike. racing and the budget and stuff, the, 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 obviously, a lot of money they gave us to, to build this, create this bike and build a race team. It was phenomenal, really, you know. but. Um, Again, it, it was all happening a bit too soon for me. I didn't really know much about that side of the racing, the business but side of the There was a nice check coming in. But that was, yeah, that was a nice <laughs> check. But, uh, the, the check was that big, I could employ people who knew what they were doing, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I did that, so we had a great race. Yeah. <clears throat> the best one out there, really, in a lot of ways. Uh, best hospitality, 
great food. <laughs> um, good riders on the bike, and pay the, you know, but then the bike, we just copied the bike off a family Grand Prix, all the dimensions of a family Grand Prix bike, you know. Fabtech it built the bike in the, in the UK. And I kept saying, who's doing the engine then? The engine, who's doing the engine? Salver, Salver pulled out by this stage. And we were trying to find out more about the engine. And said, oh, can you give, give it to Cosworth or Ricardo, people who know what they're doing, you know? And then they said, no, a guy called uh, Escort Suter is going to be doing it. Well, I'm just a bit of a shock and disbelief in it because um, this is just a guy that built clutches for two straws. It was strange, or really. And there was also an issue was the capacity change, didn't you? Design the engine. Once you've done the engine, the, the rules were 754, 900 triple, 1,000 twin. That's right. And after we'd done that, they changed the rules, didn't they? To, you built you built a 903 yeah. and then straight away made it to thousands. Really. It did certainly, yeah, but the engine was a disaster from day one to, to, the, to, to the end of it. It was a shame because I wanted to do really well. I want I'm somebody who wants to win, and we knew early on that this, this is never going to be the case. You know, unless, unless the track was wet through and we had a bit of a chance, you know. But um, I mean, the, the first ever race with the bike, it was pissing oil out and overheating. The last ever race four years later, it was still pissing oil out and overheating. You know, so. <laughs> it's a shame because the whole project, all, everything I was responsible for, that. The workshops, the facilities, um, the riders, the, the chassis. Right. We was bog on, but the engine was just the most important part. Just let us try course and put it on pole, I think. He did. We had two poles. We try again in different conditions on tight, twisty tracks. Um, he did that in Germany and at Magny Cor. So you it, know, was a, it was a bike that on its own could lap. But yeah, we're clear lap road, <laughs> and he's fine because through the corners it was great. But to the race started. Drop the flag, you don't want to come flying past, and that's it. You can't get past the corners, and you can't let corner. Somebody else was passing the straight, so it was a frustrating time for me. It really was doing it, but then, uh, it happened probably a bit too soon for me. If I, it happened now, I'd probably be a bit more involved, a bit more responsible, yeah. a bit more professional about it all, but <clears throat> it just finished racing, so I wasn't really the best frame of mind to do it, really. Now, an awful lot of people in this room will know, and we move on again, because that's kind of the racist thing, the, um, the jungle. How the hell did that go? <laughs> you, you said you got invited earlier on to do that. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I remember that being on TV, and it was 20 years ago, wasn't it? I think it was next year, I think it was 20th anniversary, because I didn't watch it this year, but some one series 19, so. Right. So 20 years ago, when this thing came on, I remember watching thinking, no, oh, this is brilliant, this, it's just, 12 services, just thrown in a jungle, look, give me a few weeks. And I watched it for the first couple of years and that, and I thought it was brilliant. And I got a phone call in about, maybe about 2003, 2004 to do it. And uh, managers go, I had a manager then. It's really like, oh, I didn't have a manager. As soon as I retired from racing, I had a manager. It became the guy that wrote my book, Neil, who was- Neil Bramwell. Yeah, who was kind of a, a friend from my own town, Blackburn. He was a local sports editor, a local paper, so I knew him. So. He was looking after me now, and I think, I think it's a good, good show for you, I think you should do it. I went, no, I'm not doing it. You know, my wife's going, do it, do it, kids. No, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. So over the years, I kind of, I don't watch a lot of TV, I don't watch any other else, but I did watch that for quite a lot of years, early, the early years, all five, five, six, seven, and whatnot. I used to think to myself, God, I've got to do that. I wonder what, now I will live that on in there, you know, because I don't really like people. <laughs> <laughs> I hate being hungry and I hate being bored. <laughs> so I kept thinking, how oh, I get on in there, how oh, I get on. And then also when they came back four years ago now, it was five years ago maybe, um, 
<laughs> they said we want you to, you know, you come ITV and whatever approach you to do the jungle. I'm like, God, you're joking, aren't you? And he, he took a lot of persuading, really did. So Michaela went, no, not at all. So the family weren't keen anymore. Like, both my kids are going, do it, do it. But Michaela, from like 10 years earlier, saying, do it. She goes, no, no, I don't really like it. You'll come across and twat everybody late. You don't do it. Thanks for that. So they, they flew me down to London. Um, they even come to my house and assured Michaela, can we fly the kids down? You live for so much hotel, and she was dead against it, to be honest. And I just said to him, "Yeah," I said, "You're not doing it." And I didn't tell Michaela, and she found out. And didn't speak to you for about three months. <laughs> 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 the best three months ever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then she come around to it all. This actually threw a surprise party for me as, a, as a, the week before I went. I flew out there, you know. So I went out there. I was still coming out, and I wanted to see if I could cope with the food situation. The, the, uh, the boredom and other people. I don't, because I'm arguing with myself, saying in my head, saying, You can't do this. Other bits going, Yeah, you can. You can, you can do it, you know. So I got out there, and I think after that first sort of initial 12 hours in there, I struggled a little bit, and I'd either work myself. And I, I did the first ever trial, actually. I was put in a jungle slammer with four others from all the same kind of background, really. TV, really, like um, the guy from Coronation Street. Um, God, I get a girl from LOLO, Vicky, she's called uh, Gemma Collins. Hell, she's going to laugh, she was. Um, <laughs> yeah. She was in there about three hours, I think. She thought it would read Nixon after an hour. She's the one that didn't get in the helicopter. Well, that was it. So yeah. that, we kind of all met, and that kind of brought the ice to me a little bit, to be fair. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, a bit nervous. And, so I got the helicopter, and the next thing, she's screaming her eyes out, crying. Yeah. Like, everyone's showing concern. I go, I'm just going, I'm yeah. trying to get her in the front of the helicopter, and I'm sat in the back, just stinging away like that's the thing. It's like, because they haven't got, like, our sense of humor, it's just like a bike thing, though, I don't know what it is. But, and I'm just crying, laughing. And, uh, that Craig Charles encouraged me, it's not funny, Carl, I'm making it worse than you can. And Jared Collins just turned around, no fucking money, I'm like, <laughs> So we, I got in there, and that first 12 hours was so hot. There's all these moths and stuff flying around. I think they're from Gemma's. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, what have you done? I can't sleep. They're all asleep, and I'm wide awake. I'm thinking, I'm getting anxiety. I thought, what, what I don't know these people. Who are they? What the hell have you done? I didn't sleep all night. I got the fire going in the morning after. And I just started to calm down that day, <coughs> that first day in there. And then there's like a phone in the, in the jail thing where we're stuck in, and phone rings. And Craig Charles, he answered the curry guy. He says, Carl, you're going, get your bag. Going. And you, your head's all over the place at this stage. You're completely all over the place. And I had no idea that the other group in, that were in the camp had voted me out. They obviously seen five faces of people. I think they knew me, two or three, two or three of them knew me. said, which one do you want to choose to go and get your food to do the first trials? So I thought, well, the back race, she's probably not scared of it. So, but I didn't know this. I'm thinking, why have I been picked? Why, why, why does everybody hate me? Does everybody, I'm just, my head's gone. And you don't really get told much at all. Like, security guys have their own bloody, bloody black paint on the face and masks up bloody watches. You can't tell what time it is. And 
pull it back of this black landlord with black town windows, goes to a party jungle, you get out, and some girl says to me, Carl, you, you're doing the first trial, you, 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 what, and I'm, you're thinking, wow, what your head's going all over the place, I'm tired, I haven't really slept all night. So when you walk around that corner, you'll, you Anton Deck will be there, I'm like, fucking Anton what's going on? So I kind of go around there, I've never seen anybody back on TV at all, and, hey, fuck it, you know, I mean, yeah, just going, just gone completely. You do the first trial, whatever. I've no idea what was going on. You, you got to get in this pit here. We're going to put all these steaks in. Okay. <laughs> you could have just said, "Hey, you got to eat that dog shit." Off. Well, I just eat it. I don't know what was going on. I just led there. I'm thinking, I meant to get. I meant. I knew one was scared of anything in there. Right. I led there and dropped all these steaks. I went, "Oh, what am I supposed to do? Be scared of something? I'm not bothered about these steaks." <laughs> so I smashed the trial and I got out and. Come out of the trial. Walk over to Hampton Deck. Well done, well done, Carl. You've got all, all ten stars next to him. I thought, what the fuck's that? I looked down. It looked like I'd got an hard on. And one of the snakes still in my shoulders. It's forking out of Whoa! Hampton, the one with big head, I can't remember what he's called. He, he jumped <laughs> off the road. And I went, the snake's still down my shorts. The snake's still down my shorts. So I'm like, it's all about the shorts. So some the girl who comes over who's in charge of the snakes, I guess, whatever, I don't know. So she puts her hands up to get away, make sure you get the right snake. Girl. I was then into camp and met the others. I obviously got on really well with with Jimmy and there. I, 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 and I knew Mel Sykes, I'd met her before. And I, and then I said, Oh, Kendra, Playboy, I watch you. What <laughs> 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 you think you're famous? You've been recorded. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I just have to watch you. He was the Playboy mansion now. I think yeah. Michael's thinking, Right, I'll wait until you can get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a roller coaster, a ride of emotions, I can't believe. To be caught off from the outside world completely, just fed rice and beans and go out and do these tasks and challenges to, to try and win food. When you win the food, uh, you get 10 stars, you get a you know, big king end of the egg plate, but it's nothing, it's like a crocodile's foot or a bit of wallaby or something, it's like three or four pieces each and a bit of. Did you lose a load of weight? I lost just over a stone, I lost eight, eight or nine kilograms. That's what? Yeah, Jesus. to be honest. Uh, that was the biggest fear because I can't, I need food, I'm a nervous person, I've got a lot of nervous energy, so I eat a lot of food in the day. Um, so that was a worry for me really. And I didn't think I did too bad in there because I thought, the girls are really, I'm not eating that, mutton bird or something, or what they're like, give it a year. I'm like, so the nails off the foot, you know what I mean, I eat everything. So I didn't do too bad really, and then after a while I thought, and I, was, and I watched him melt at rice and beans and thought, I know, I'll do that now. Basically, just put it all in the pan and let it boil for like an hour, and that was it. So I thought, I can do that. Whoever boiled does it, well, usually serves it out. It's like a rolling spoon, so I'm like, it's called that for everybody's. Yeah. And I'll scrape what's it called? Like There's a big pile that's into mine. And then, so he got a bit boiled. Oh, you got a bit boiled. I'm having so much rice and beans, I'm full, to be honest. Nobody else had any. And I'm thinking, shit, let me show this on TV now, I'll be in cubes of all sorts, but they didn't show any of that apparently. But uh, yeah. it was just an amazing thing, honestly, because so many stories have been in there. And I remember being in the shower at one point, I'm looking at the cameras, and every time you move, the cameras are moving with you. I'm, 
I'm thinking, look at me now, I'm in the shower, washing my ass with a Playboy bunny inside of me, sure, and my ass and that. I'm just my legs back home watching the kid. Get foggy there with Playboy bunny with girl in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> National TV. Do you think it made you a better person to come back? You know? I think it, it, I learned a lot about myself in there, because I didn't, like I said, I didn't think I was a, a team person really. I thought, and I, I, I just did a lot in there, and I helped the girls a lot. Yeah. Me, it, was, it was tough for the girls there, I really was. And, I just found myself being a real team player. I didn't, okay. I didn't learn that about, about myself. Yeah, <coughs> but I was so humbled by it. there is the, there's public support from, in the UK to win. Well, what is the biggest show on, on sure. TV? You yeah. know, yeah. by public vote. It's just. I mean, I dropped it four. When I, when I got to the final, I thought, oh my God, to the final. I'm thinking, I finished third. You know what I mean? Then the second. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then. As I say, I'm going to win, I'm thinking, oh my god, I think I'm going to say my name, my knees just went and just dropped the floor. <laughs> Pick up off the floor and it's just, tell that book's full of support. Um, yeah. You learned how to cook as well. Yeah, yeah. cook yeah. rice and beans now. <laughs> but yeah, it was just an amazing thing, it really, really was. Out of everything I've done, to do something right out of your comfort zone, yeah, especially me, the character I am, that was a massive gamble for me to win that. You know, because yeah. I think I was finally getting voted out first. I went in there thinking, I won't do I won't bother. No. I don't need the money, I don't, I'm not about famous and bothered me, you know what I mean? I mean, it hasn't changed the command, if it's changed me for anything, it's, changed me, it's made me a more, even better person, more like back to I was going to say, but you know, win shows like that, people have won that show for years. Yeah. Watch the one the year after, they just, the, if you come across a normal person down to earth, and have a laugh at yourself, and they get stuck in, then you tend to win them kind sure. of shows, really. Yeah, well, you know, the think you're famous, yeah. you think you're a bit, but act like a people done, or you know, win your moment, then you won't do really hard. Yeah. I think they like to see people getting stuck in, but it has, yeah. in fairness, uh, you know, it's opened up other doors for you as well. Well, it did, yeah. I mean, I, I've been asking all sorts since then. I've turned them all down. I'm not bothered about being. The only time it's Brooklyn's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been asking But yeah, you have, I'm sure there's other options. Yeah, I've, I've turned them all down and I've done what the balls said. I've strictly come down to them. It must be two years in a row to do that now. My knees are Dancing with pink, pink tea, queen top. Yeah. Like, from bike racing, winning tea tea. No, no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but good about it. You know, dance some nice fit Russian, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be told what to do with me. I mean, they're too poncy twats behind me saying, your presentation <laughs> gone wrong. And then we've got to get him on it. I've been asking a few quiz shows, they're not that nice. I won tipping point, if anyone saw But when you're on the spotlight, I've done questions more a few times, and really well on that. Quite a good general knowledge, but when you're in the spotlight and you're getting general knowledge questions, you, some of the easiest questions <coughs> in the world you get, your mind just goes up trying to play tricks on me, and you'll just say the wrong thing, and it's so easy. I watch people back home, and you're sat in your own house, it's easy to get so many questions out, but there and then, under the spotlight, life uh, is. I did it with, my, I did with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just say the wrong thing, don't you? Um, okay. Well, um, yeah. Um, now you are working with CCM, an ambassador. They've been yeah. buying a foggy bike now. Yeah, not so much ambassador, but I don't like that. It's not really, it's not really a, a word that's handled that would suit me, really. But um, I'm a bit more involved with it, more of a the, the performance director to keep the good okay. title. Uh, I just take take the bike and just put it how I want it, really. Um, I did the foggy bike and just took, I mean, all the bikes are the same, they're all like a Spitfire bike, same chassis, same engine. 
I'll just put like my own stamp on it really. I'll just change the wheels, change the exhaust pipe, put it out of the back seat. In fact, I made it like a, a mini 916 in a way, the first one, you know. And from that, we made it into a flat track bike. Um, and just a fun little bike to ride, they really are. A couple pokey little things to ride, great round town, country road, that kind of thing, you know. So they're doing really well. So it's just, it's a company I've known all my life, they're on my doorstep. My best mate's the guy, one of my best mate's the guy that kind of runs the company. So it just makes sense to, to try and help promote that you know, small little British motorcycle brand than anything else, really. So, so I joined that. So 20 years, it's a lovely little bike, yeah, right. I have to say, it's a cracking bike. So 20 years since you kind of properly raced, but there's still a foggy helmet, there's lots of merchandising, as we've got the back of the room here tonight, if anyone wants any. Um, a bike that you're involved with, so still your life is, yeah. still revolves around that. Oh yeah, everything I do is involve the bikes. Um, ambassador for a bike, for insurance, LS2 helmets, yeah. and so everything I'm linked to, all the, the other stuff, kind of after the jungle, I, I just... I get. I want to stay involved in bikes. That's what. That's what got me here today. To be honest, you know. So, uh, no, it's ninety percent of what I do now is all bike related right. stuff. Really, yeah. Right. So I'm trying to take a, a bit of a back step as well. And I do like a bit of free time. I like to go off at lads and a bit of fishing or a bit more across a bit. We all go to Spain. About ten of us, two of the boys in the back there. We go off road. Yeah. Did you nearly drown one of your mates on off road or something like that? No, one of them did drown himself. Yeah, on the, uh, sorry, I put a post on it on, on yeah. social, on Instagram or something. It's just a little stream. But it's a bit tricky getting through it, but one of the lads, he just knew it was going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, he kind of went wrong, he went under. But he, as he got up to, he's that slip of the mole on the rocks, he slipped back under it. <laughs> you know, again, when he's like, like sorry, concerned, he was laughing and filming him, trying to, trying to get out of this water, drowning him. Um, but yeah, I love having a bit of banter with lads on the bikes. We, it's, it's great fun. We go every year at the beginning of March. About ten of us, and it's just you know three days of riding bikes, a few beers, sunshine. It's still fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. the best sort of time to be. Yeah, I mean you've got to chill. Yeah. We're yeah. going to we ask some questions in, but a couple more things. Charity work. You've been doing a lot of walking, which you don't really like doing. No, it? I do it quite a bit with the NSPCC and. Um, in fact, actually this year they've got, I said, look, the walking thing's killing me, because all the injuries I've had from racing, my knee, I mean, my ankle, I've just had, I've just had some, an insurance injection in my ankle actually, last week, that and that. Um, and the walking, I said, look, I can't say no to any species here, but I, I, I've done Iceland, and in seven days across, trekking across Patagonia last year, I've done seven days this year, sorry, seven days last year, in uh, six days in Romania over the Transylvania Alps, um, up to Dracula's castle. Calloway back home, she was happy. And so, uh, but my ankle's killing me. I said, look, guys, I, I don't want to do any more walking. I, I don't even like walking, to be honest. Bores the shell, to be honest. Um, and it's not really what I want to do. So look, I do a lot of cycling. Anything like on bikes or cycling, I, I prefer. So just as it happens, it happens, as it happens we have a, a charity bike ride we do every so often. It's coming up this year. Will you do it? And, oh, God, I'm so yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's across Cambodia and uh, Vietnam. And I thought, that sounds amazing. And people I spoke said, it's You're stunning. That, honestly, they even think, I think of Vietnam, we think of war. And, and, but no, it's a beautiful place. So in, 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 think you, can buy, you can pay, actually, to come and do it with me. I think everything's being launched at the, the dinner I do for him in Manchester. On the, it's the last day of, it's 29th, actually. It's, a bank, it's Olivia, it's the 29th of, um, of March. Of February, sorry, um, uh, the Chowline Ball in Manchester, so they'll launch it then and we'll, we'll sell straight away. I think it's about 30 spots to go okay. and cycle with me across. Um, 
I don't know how, how much of it is. I don't know what all the details are, but it's across Cambodia and uh, a thousand miles, I heard. I'm joking. <laughs> 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 so I, I look forward to that because I, I do a lot of cycling. It's a lot easier on my body. There's, there's no impact on the joints. You know, so um, that'll be in November. So yeah, I'll do that. This week. So another busy year ahead of you, doing lots of. Yeah, I've tried to cut back on a few things, um, but yeah, I've just like I said, I'm going to go on holiday next week. Forget this. I'm January. I can't stand being here. Where are you going? We're to Barbados for about ten days. Or all right, for some. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, send you some pictures, don't we? Yeah, we will. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do some questions and answers. Like, well, we'll hopefully get some answers. Um, I won't do anything about motorbike racing will be in the jungle. I do marriage issues. If you've got it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think Steve has got a microphone. And Steve, as we speak, is coming. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Fogarty. Absolutely, I'm a doctor, of course. <laughs> right, if we can have the lights up. Lights um, up a little bit, not too much, much of the same Right, who wants to be the first, ladies and gentlemen, question? I'm sure that's that it. Yeah, he's on his way. Oh, right. oh he is the light man's coming. He is the light man. Tech Tim is the light man. You all come out. There must be a question. Yes, over here, sir. Right. You're in the dark at the moment, but there you go. Right, I can't see you. Just wave. Can you just say, uh, one of your greatest races, 98 Assen with Keeney. Oh, okay, yeah. I was watching it the other day. Um, okay. How long before you spoke, you spoke <laughs> to each other afterwards? And how was the day Tata to, I mean, he obviously had to keep it calm on that day, but, you know, I think Keeney obviously overreacted because he did a great move into the chicane and he lost the yeah. fight. But it was apparently something that happened through the Esters the previous day, which no one saw. <laughs> Um, yeah. Actually, Keely's in the country this weekend. Is he coming for tea at your place? Yeah. yeah. No, I'll tell you what, he's one of my, I get on really well with him. He's, he's a lovely guy. I'm not going to have words uh, about him at all. But yeah, you kind of sense at that particular time something was going to happen, really, because the two Ducati teams didn't really like each other at all. Totally didn't like Virginia Ferrari. There were three factory riders, me, Troy, and Killing. None of us have had a particularly great season, but we all still find ourselves in a position to win the World Championship, you know? And so I, I decided, I asked that I need to get back together and, and sort of do some winning. And in the first race, I was behind Killian, he was struggling. He, he just didn't seem to know where he was going. And when I got past him, he, he could tag on and that, you know what I mean? Um, I remember thinking his bike was fast, really, in his head. He's, anyway, the first race, on the last lap, he just came past down the back straight. And, a, and I could get back past him in the race, and I was furious. I'm thinking, <coughs> Just conspiracy here is Italian, Italian white, Italian. <laughs> and then and engines from Ducati are a bit like that sometimes, they hit and miss, you know, but it was quicker. So, so in the second race, I thought, again, he's struggling, it's like holding me up, so I, I, I couldn't shake him off. I thought, there's no way he's going to do what he did in, in the second race, on the last lap. So I came onto the back straight, and you know, I was all over the place. So that's what he was annoyed about. Really. Um, and as I mean, I can't. It's a bit like the one, two, five guys, and they're trying to get out of slipstream. It wasn't, you know, not against the rules. I don't think. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he must have been coming alongside. He must have weaved. He must have, must have nearly hit or something. So, so I held him off. But I made a mistake with about about three corners late. I missed wrong gear, and he got past me. And I thought, no problem at all. Just stay calm. You're definitely faster into the last game. So I just ran his tail over, ran up inside, boom, I can bang down to first gear to make sure I've got it, stopped me on it, boom, won the race. And I looked round and thought, well, he stopped him, he's 
I didn't know he crashed. I had no idea he crashed, honestly. So I came back around, crowd of women, full of reds on it. And I saw him, I thought, I was walking up, we don't look too happy, he's fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going mad, and it's all kicking off. And I'm not actually sure what's gone. And then I realised, I see his bike being wheeled. I thought, he's crashed, dickhead. What is crashed? <laughs> so obviously, everyone's thinking that he's mad. I mean, he's obviously frustrated with himself, to be honest, because when they show the replay, they, Everyone's thinking, well, why is he annoyed? Because Carl's nowhere here, which is something inside us. But he was annoyed because I, I, yeah, yeah, he thought yeah. what we were doing was dangerous on the last time. So, yeah, it got a bit easier a little bit. Um, it was a sandbag, wasn't it, really? I mean, they, then we went to the press conference after, and I was sat up there, and he, he come in, he got off, had a quick shower, put in a blue dressing gown, and came in, I thought, well, here we go. And can uh, I have any questions, like, you know, from from the, from the press, and he just grabbed the mic. Yes, Al, they first got out. Here we go. This this man here, what he did in life, unless this shit. So I got to walk out, and then we kind of kicked off again, you know. But yeah, it just it, it was just the emotions of everybody really. Like I said the two Ducati guys didn't particularly like each other, two bosses, um, and that was it for him. That was his championship over really. That was went down to the last round and won the championship. But um, and he, we obviously had to speak to each other at some point. And he came over to me at the Donington. It was a year after. He said, "Look, this is crazy." And, you know, what's happened happened and that was it really from then on been fine and absolutely loads of times. He's one of the nicest guys. I've got them probably got everybody in race there, I have more time for him than probably ninety percent of people to be fair. He's such a, an honest guy and genuine guy, you know, really it's when he sees you now, if I see the scene something last year you before. Is that emotion so I was crying? It's proper Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I a lovely guy, but yeah, it was yeah, and so many people bring that up all the time and it's you know, it was what made Subak, I guess, the characters, and there was some big personalities <coughs> behind them, really, really important. And other question, ladies and gentlemen, maybe, I'm sure they're not a hundred pounds, sir. Yes, sir, <laughs> right. <coughs> Look for career. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can I go back to, uh, over here, there we go. Uh, the, uh, the 91 TT, when you had the RVFs. Yeah. I gather you got a bit of a dressing down, you and Steve, from the uh, lots of HRC, because he was quite worried about all the stuff you were getting up to in practice. Can you tell me what he said to you, and uh, what exactly were you, were you doing around the mountain course to get him so worried? I think it's just how fast we were going, really. Um, we were so much faster than anybody else. I think Steve went down the 120, 121s, and therefore I lived in 22. Um, and they were just concerned. The Japanese were concerned. Um, I can't remember about much about the meeting now, really, but they just had to express that they were concerned that we were there to beat Yamaha. But obviously, we're not racing, we want to beat each other, you know. I think Neil just, they just, Neil Tucks just kind of said, look, you know, they're just concerned. Calm down. We were like, yeah, yeah, of course we will. That's just a guy. You're never going to do what they say, you know, they were just expressed the feelings. And I think they had to say that, and that was the right thing to do, you know. So that, that clears their mind, sort of thing, but, you know, came the race, and, uh, yeah, that was it, really. It was, it was, it was all, it was fine. We just, I mean, the race was, was over for me pretty much straight away. And to be honest, if I'm honest about it, I think Steve would have been me anyway, to be honest. Even if I hadn't had a problem with the bike, I don't think, kind of wasn't the right frame of mind when I went back that year after, really. Um, and then I was showing the bike with George during the week, it was, that, that was, I wasn't good, because, that was a fast bike that it was, a missile thing, but it was light, it was twitching, nervous, and I was struggling to get the hang of it, I really was, he got to get on with better than me, but, it, but he was on it more than me, I was showing it with Joey, you know, because Joey rode in the race after it, and seen it when I went home, you see, so, 
But yeah, they were a bit concerned, the Japanese. Um, and whatever they said, they said to Neil, Neil said, look, you know, you, know, you try and cop, no, we don't want to kill, you, kill each other. Jiao comes to me, sort of thing. Yeah, I think I read that you felt, of all the competitors and people you raced with, Steve Hislop was probably one of the strongest. At the TT, yeah. I'd never considered him a ride on the short no, circuit, because no, no, no. I never saw him again. No. I'd get home to Donington a week after, and I've got Terry Ryan to deal with him. Robert Kelly, James Whitton, John Reynolds, Steve Hislop's somewhere at the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a weird one. And then for me to see him, as he got older and older, become, well, he become British champion, didn't he? Twice, yeah, 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 twice yeah. in 95. Yeah. And Steve was one of them guys that he seemed to get better with age on the short circuit. Because when I do the world championships, I'm like, oh, I was taking the piss out of James Wisdom, so he can't believe Steve. There's lots, lots of beating him, you know. He's not a, he yeah. never really considered him a short circuit guy, but he was incredibly fast on his day, on the right kind of bike, on the right kind of day. He was a in his head, he was very genius. Yeah, himself. and then the week after, he, someone won't quite right, that's it, he's gone. But, you yeah, that Simon Crafer's a similar sort of guy, really. You could have somebody have the bike, and the, he knows he's got the right, got the right tyres on. You can't get near him, but then the week after, there's no more sort of thing. We've got a, another a question in the middle of the room here. The young lady won't put her hand up, but I know she wants to ask you a question. I can't, I can't see anybody. There's a lady just. Right, I'm the one that snubbed you earlier. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was haunting question really about Birmingham LEC last year and um, something to do with a flower pot, a hotel and a corridor. <laughs> 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 no, apparently this lady was in a hotel in Birmingham and she saw someone running around the lady. Being bounced around, I just thought I'd ask you. <laughs> 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 you know what? I still can't believe it's happened to me. You couldn't make this up, but yeah, I did the LEC and I went down the first week Stayed at the NEC, one of the hotels next door for, for CCM. Then the week after, I'm down there for Bankshire Insurance. And they had stayed in Birmingham and uh, booked a fancy hotel in Birmingham. Fantastic hotel. Where it was a nice out with the old the bosses and directors and stuff uh, at Bankshire Insurance. <clears throat> so I'm in this really nice hotel. I go to my room, and the room's massive. It's a proper suite, massive suite. Massive lounge, bedroom, two bathrooms, all the way within. So, I, I always try to suss out where the toilet I always go to the middle of the night and repeat. And I, su I had to suss out where the toilet was. And I remember coming back and I come back quite late. I, I, pretty, I was drunk, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, and back home, I always sleep with the pants on because I thought, I'm this big round, naked. Ooh, got a big bed. I've gone to sleep, obviously. I've had a great sleep. I woke up knees to go to the toilet. And I thought, right, I'm toilet. Get up, right, and turn right again. It's the first door, push it. So I've gone like that, pushed it. And I thought, this is not a toilet, though. And I'm in the hallway, in, in the lobby. All <laughs> naked. <laughs> and I'll turn around the door, shut. Oh, so I'm like, you're like this, thinking you're going to get back in somehow. And they're like, oh, it's a massive, proper solid door. But you've got to be key cards to get in. And then we're starting to look at my watch, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, I thought. I've got to go down to reception, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down my room, I'm going to reception, so. I'm walking down the <laughs> corridor and I pass all these rooms so, and he turned where it lifts on and I thought, oh, there's a plant pot and a big bunch of flowers. So I grabbed the flowers out, massive bunch of flowers, you <laughs> So I've got this bunch of flowers. Guess the lid, presses obviously the ground floor. And as the doors open, you're thinking, there's nobody about, so I was so lucky. And I saw, there's like a, a bit of a sofa and a cushion on it as I got out of the lift, so I threw the flowers on the floor, got the cushion. <laughs> I'm walking around, 
fell into the reception. This guy looks and looked again. Trying to act was English, still. Is it Bobby? He's Europe, Eastern European or something. I'm like, I went to the toilet and I've gone out wrong. I need my cat. I can't get out and like, I'll just make a mess. Bobby thought you were Eastern European. I just went, I said, What's your name? I said, Fog is here. What room? Whatever, 413, whatever it was. I can't give you a call, I've got to get, got to get the, the manager to sort of issue another call. I'm like, fuck's sake, I'm losing it. Give me a towel or anything, put around myself. So, so as soon as the guy comes down, he laughs, looks at him, he laughs, checks with him and that. Gives me a key card, just leaves me, so I walk away, showing on my ass to because I walk back <laughs> with a cushion, back up to room, back to bed, and back. I can't, and I'm just thinking, I walk up in the morning thinking, I can't believe that's just happened. That, 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 that is definitely on the CCTV. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big bunch of roses on it. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. Did you tell them that? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It was different. Yeah, yeah thank you. We'll make that the last one, ladies and gentlemen. Carl Fogarty and Steve Harris. You spoke earlier about trophies that you couldn't take off the Isle of Man and ones that you couldn't uh, take anywhere. I'm going to present you with something. Wait a minute. This is something money can't buy. You can take it away. And it's a genuine bit of 1907 track. Carl, thank you very much. An auction, Steve, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, Carl and, uh, has kindly presented, not this one, it's in a frame to show you, but a print exactly like that that's at the back of the room with the two lovely gentlemen up there. Um, and it can be signed and personalised to whoever you would like. That particular poster, and then you can do whatever you like with it, put it in a frame or something like that. Um, sold here tonight. I am going to get, do you know what they are? Any idea how much this poster would normally be tonight? If you weren't, didn't have it signed or something, that's got to be 30 quid. how much are they retail? 35. 35. 35 pounds normally up there. Right, okay, well someone start me off, this signed and personalised, someone start me off at 35 pounds for this. This poster, if we're going for the charity. Uh, I've got 35, we want to go 40 then, because we're going fivers if you'd like, we'd like to get some money for the charity, it's for a very, very good cause. I've got 35, this will be signed tonight by Carl and whoever, and it could be personalised to you. So I've got 35, I'm looking for 40 pounds, somebody. 40, thank you, I've got 40, anyone want to go 45? 45. 45. 50 maybe, somebody, somebody I can't see, but at 45 we have at the moment. 50 at the front, thank you very much indeed. 55, anybody further back? At 50 at the front, I have got a 55, thank you madam, here on my right. 55 on my right, maybe 60 pounds somebody, because this is all going for a very good cause. 60, thank you, right at the front here. At 60 pounds, 65, thank you. Maybe 70, someone in the room at 65, have it. 70 I've got further over at the back, 
75, thank you very much indeed. Maybe 80 pounds at 75 we have, and the ladies still here. 80, thank you very much indeed. 80 pounds, gentlemen, 85 I've got, maybe 90, 80, 90 I've got on my right. At 95, thank you madam, it's back with you at 95. 100 pounds, thank you, that's a round of applause. We're not giving up at 100 pounds. <laughs> Five, thank you, madam. At 105, I have. Does anyone want to go more? At 10, thank you. 110. 115, I've got. 120, I've got. Thank you. 120 with madam. 150. 150, I have. At 150, I don't know who it is. Put your hand up who said that. Thank you. At 150 pounds. Any more bids on this? 155, I've got. 160, I've got from the lady from the lady here. 165, I have over here. Thank you. At 170, I have. 170, the gentleman here, uh, I'm looking at it. 180, we're going at 180. Thank you very much indeed. The lady here at 180 pounds. We are selling 185. I've got one night, 200, I have. At 200 pounds, I have the gentleman with the spectacles on on my right hand side. At 200 pounds, we are selling it at 200 pounds. Once at 200. 210, thank you very much indeed. Gentlemen, over here, I'm going to lose my voice soon. At 210 pounds, at 210 pounds once, twice, 220. Thank you very much indeed. Not very close then. At 220 on the right, at 220 once, at 220. 230, thank you very much indeed. Of 230 pounds, I have got 240. 200, 250. At 250 pounds for a great cause, 260, thank you. At 260, on the right hand side, at 260. Once at 270, thank you very much indeed. At 270 pounds, at 280, thank you. Back on my right, at 280, 290. At 290, we are selling at 200 and 300 pounds. Another round of applause. It's 300 pounds for you, sir, with the spectacles. At 300 pounds, once at 300, twice at 300, sold to you. Thank you. Thank you. the back and it'll all be arranged with Carl to sign that. Uh, it will be done up the back at £300. Thank you very, Thank you, very Steve, much for that. Can I just mention who's next with us in April? In April we have a young lady, or she's not quite as young as she used to be, as we know none of us are, but she is the lady that is the only person ever to have raced at the TT solo and sidecar. She was once the fastest at the TT but it got eclipsed. She's lapped at 118 or 19 miles now at the Ironman TT, and it will be a young lady called Maria Costello who will be joining me on April the 30th. April the 30th, and she's got some very interesting tales to tell you, I can assure you. Um, so that will be April 30th. Thank April. you very much. And now the raffle, ladies and gentlemen, they're all green tickets as Tim has got around the back of the. Uh,